What's up and welcome back to the Hybrid Canine Podcast. Today we're answering questions from Instagram Live. I've got some questions populating here in the chat stream. And uh, if you are asking questions, if you wouldn't mind dropping them in the question box, that way we can uh, turn this into Q&A mode. That'd be really cool. Without further ado, let's roll into some of the questions that we have here. The first one comes from Astro Jasmine. Super cool handle. My dog is 10 years old. What are better approaches to teach her new commands and correct behaviors? Well, the age-old saying is true. You can teach an old dog new tricks. And the way that you teach them new tricks and new behaviors is just the same as it would be any other dog, right? Now, of course, if your dog has developed some bad habits over its lifetime, it might be harder to uh, correct some existing behaviors. It might take some more diligence because these things have become so accustomed to the way that your dog is living life. But generally speaking, you're going to want to, uh, of course, first reward your dog and use a lot of positive reinforcement to teach and shape new behaviors. And as your dog learns and understands these behaviors and is showing a level of proficiency and reliability in these commands, that's when you can start using the other quadrants of operant conditioning to hold them accountable to this behavior, right? Or to increase the quickness of this behavior that you've now taught. Um, when it comes to correcting behaviors, you're also going to use the same framework. So uh, the short answer is it really doesn't change from anything else that you would teach a dog of any other age. It's just that if you're working to correct some behaviors, you might have some unlearning to do, and it might take a little bit longer because of the habits that have been formed over your dog's lifetime. When it comes to teaching those new behaviors, uh, like we said, it's going to be the same as any other dog, you know, using their motivators. So food, toys, affection with most dogs, food is going to be their number one motivator. And so you can use uh, your hand and your and their food to lure your dog into into shape different positions. And then once your dog is going into those positions and has a level of proficiency layering a word uh, or a marker, as we call it in training, on top of that. And then once your dog is showing proficiency in understanding that marker and it immediately does the behavior, that's when you know that your dog really understands this behavior and this command. And that's when you can start holding them accountable to that command through, um, you know, the other the other elements of operant conditioning. Hopefully that helps. Flicka Pupper asks, can you tell me what I can do to my one-year-old dog that keeps eating poop when no one is around? Well, one of the number one things you, that you can do for your one-year-old dog that's eating poop when no one is around is to not have your dog out and about without being supervised. Um, your dog at one-year-old should be crated if you're not watching them, should be either tethered if you're home and not having your eye on them, or should be in some kind of X-pen or um, zone of your house that is has a perimeter around it. And the reason for this is exactly what you're talking about, right? I mean, if your dog is wandering in the yard and is able to self-reinforce these negative behaviors, it's going to be very hard to stop that. So I know that it sounds tedious to constantly have an eye on your dog, but if you don't have an eye on your dog and they're young and they are behaving in these ways, uh, it's best to just put them in a crate or have them under your supervision when they're out. Um, and that's just the short and realistic answer to that. I know it's uh, there's no magic bullet that's going to come in and, uh, you know, fix that behavior for you, unfortunately, especially something like poop eating. So um, the other thing that you can do is if it's in your yard and your dog is eating poop in the yard, clean up that poop. <laughs> Don't let the poop build up in the yard. Make sure that every time they go to the bathroom, you bag it up or you scoop it and you, you toss it away and you eliminate the ability to eat poop uh, because your dog is under supervision and or there is no poop in the yard uh, for your dog to be eating in the first place. So um, those would be my recommendations there. Uh, 
All right, let's see what other questions we have. We have some dropping into the some dropping into the Q and A box here. David Guop asks, "How can I get my dog to stop? How can I get my dog to stop barking at other dogs when walking on the leash?" Well, if your dog is barking at other dogs, I would say that your dog is showing some signs of reactivity. And one of the first things that you can do is really build engagement with you in situations that are not just the walk, right? So I like to compare this, you know, I come from an athletic background. I compare this to practice versus the game. You know, the game is when it counts. The game is when we need to be on point and operating at the highest level. And oftentimes, the performance that we can expect at the game is hedged upon how well we've practiced that week, how well we've put in the work, we've put in the drills, we've put in all the, the practice, right, at the scenarios or in the opportunities that aren't the game, right? If you're just practicing a play for the first time at the game, it's likely not going to go very well, right? And so uh, when I say practice, I mean that in building engagement, I mean that you want to be doing hand feeding, you want to be practicing obedience. You want to be practicing the loose leash walk in low distraction areas like your home, like your backyard, and really uh, getting your dog to understand what is expected of them when the leash is on and when you are working with them before you're in situations where there's other dogs around. Um, Because when your dog is triggered by these other dogs, their opportunity for learning is not then, right? They're going to be too fixated, too um, anxious, too, you know, wound up by the other dogs to really be in a state of learning and their, their state of mind is going to be elsewhere. And so, Um, doing all these things outside of the walk are going to help to instill value in you. And that way you have a higher level of expectation during the walk that you can hold them accountable to. Now, of course, uh, being cognizant of your environment. So also scanning the environment really well, not being distracted on the walk. A lot of people have a tendency to have their phone out, to be texting, to be, you know, chatting with someone else. Perhaps when you go out on a walk with your dog and you're facing something like reactivity and trying to overcome it, you have to be diligent in saying, this is time for me and my dog. I'm not going to have any distractions. I'm going to be present in this moment and do everything that I can to make sure that I educate my dog as best as possible to let them know what my expectations are on this walk. Uh, The less that they are able to get away with barking, right? So if your dog does bark, providing them a correction through the leash, uh, like a leash pop, um, if you're using a prong collar, a pop on the prong collar, um, you know, that timing is going to be very important. And so paying attention is imperative when you're going on a walk with your reactive dog. So those are the two things that I say that I think would be the most simple to implement is putting in a lot of work outside of just the walk, dialing it back and practicing some of these behaviors, practicing your loose leash walk and a lot of obedience commands in low distraction environments like your home, the yard, the garage, whatever it might be prior to going out on the walk in the neighborhood, perhaps where there are other dogs that you're going to encounter. And that's going to set your dog up for success and prime their state of mind for a walk where there's going to be more triggers in the environment. All right, let's answer some of the questions in the question box. Astro Jasmine asks, how do I identify when my dog is interested in socializing with other dogs or just wanting to pick up a fight? Well, I think in order to really dive into this question, we have to redefine what socialization means when it relates to dogs. Oftentimes in socialization, and I just spoke to a woman this morning that was inquiring about training. You know, socialization for people, right, is us interacting. It's going to a bar. It's saying hey to our friends. It's catching up on the phone. Um, But for dogs, right, really what we are looking for with socialization is really neutrality. We want our dog to not be razzled up. We want our dog to not be triggered by other things in the environment. We want them to have a calm state of mind 
in situations where it would be otherwise easy to get riled up and, you know, participate in, uh, you know, hyperactivity and some of these other nuisance behaviors. So when it comes to whether or not your dog is interested in socializing with other dogs, you know, some dogs simply just do not like a lot of other dogs. Atlas, my dog, for example, tolerates other dogs, but doesn't really care to play with many other dogs. And that's okay, right? I don't, I don't ever want to put him in a situation where he should be forced to hang out with other dogs, just as I wouldn't want to be forced to hang out with another group of people. Um, so that's the first thing to understand when it comes to socialization is that we really want neutrality. And so you can tell a lot of times whether your dog, the, the second side of this question is how can I identify if your dog is interested in being in perhaps friendly with other dogs or is aggravated by other dogs. And that's going to come down to really being able to recognize their body language. So, you know, if your dog's hackles are going up, their ears are tucked, the tail's tucked, you know, that's a generally a sign that they are not uh, open for, you know, a friendly environment. They don't want their space to be encroached. They're nervous or anxious that they're licking their lips, things like that. Um, these are all precursors. If your dog is sheltering near you or underneath you, um, these are all signs that your dog is generally not in a mood to really be interactive with other dogs in a positive way. Um, one of the best ways to introduce dogs to one another is not on leash, is not in a face-to-face, nose-to-nose interaction, but actually something more passive like a walk, right? So say you were walking with a friend uh, or you wanted to go walk with a friend that also had a dog. Your, your friend could be already on the walk and you could kind of bleed into them, right? So thinking of how, you know, two different colors in a water bottle might slowly, um, you know, start to uh, blend together in a very, very cohesive way, very slowly to where the dog doesn't really realize that there's a new dog in the environment. And it's a very gradual, um, gradual blend, if that makes sense. All right, here's a great question. Chaos Walking asks, I'm getting overwhelmed with all the four quadrants. I think I'm confusing my dog with the four quadrants. I may be rewarding at the wrong time, making him seek the wrong behavior. This is something that is all too common with many different owners, especially those that are getting more into dog training and are just being uh, familiarized with the four quadrants of operant conditioning. And even as a trainer, sometimes in the heat of the moment, it's hard to really identify which quadrant you're in at times because of the fact that some of the quadrants our dog really dictates what quadrant we're in and their their reaction to the environment and their behavior. Um, Oftentimes when I work with owners, one of the first things to your point, chaos walking is that they are inadvertently reinforcing behaviors that they do not want to see more of. For instance, let's take a dog that's whining, right? Acknowledging that dog or even telling them to be quiet or to shush or whatever, even giving them eye contact sometimes can be rewarding. So perhaps in that situation, the dog stops for a moment, but is stopping because they actually got the thing that they want. They wanted, right? That tension. So it's very important to understand these quadrants in the sense that we don't want to be inadvertently reinforcing things. And we also want to you know, understand what quadrant we are working within or what our options are towards working on resolving different behaviors that we want to see less of. Um, one of the mo- more confusing ones that stumps people is negative punishment and negative reinforcement. One of the easiest ways to think about negative reinforcement to me is to think about how our seatbelt dings at us in the car, right? We get in the car, if we don't put our belts on, we have this terrible offensive dinging sound, right? And so we put the seatbelt on to escape that sound, right? To avoid the ongoing onslaught of that terrible frequency in our ears. And as soon as we belt, as soon as our belt hits the clip and we're buckled in, 
the sound goes off. So the release of that pressure in that situation is reinforcing. This is also similar to giving your dog, you know, little, little pops on the leash or little um, tugs at the leash to give them leash pressure and guidance, perhaps on a walk, the release of that pressure, uh, the release of the crate perhaps could be the release of pressure. Some of those are good examples of negative reinforcement. We're taking something away to see more of a behavior in the future um, or a quicker behavior in the future. Conversely, right, negative punishment. This is where we're removing something to remove the, remove the issue in and of itself, right? So um, this could look like taking uh, various toys away, removing things from the environment that the dog is seeking in order to see less of a behavior, right? So let's say, for instance, your dog is very possessive over a toy. Uh, perhaps removing the toys from the environment would be a way to see less of those resource guarding behaviors, right? Not leaving food on the ground and putting it up when your dog has walked away from it. Of course, by this, I don't want this to be confused as I'm saying to take a toy while your dog is actively being possessive over it, but not leaving these toys out, right? Not, not letting these opportunities exist, removing um, something to see less of a behavior. So um, this is where it can be tough to think about in day-to-day life, but um, those are the two that usually stump people up the most. Now, positive reinforcement is the one that most people are familiar with, which is adding something to see more of a behavior in the future, right? So I'm going to add food because I want to see my dog sit more in the future or go into the down command faster in the future, more, more likely in the future. Um, of course, positive punishment, we're adding something to see less of behavior. So this would be a leash correction. This could be an e-collar correction, um, all of these different types of things that we use to uh, positively punish our dogs in the situations that need it the most. And of course, we want to use this the most sparingly. Um, but the important thing to understand about positive punishment is that only our dog can really decide what is positive punishment for them. Um, you know, so sometimes it takes some cadence and relationship with your dog to know what is going to be enough of a positive punishment to eliminate a behavior from their, um, you know, from their arsenal of behaviors that they express. So that probably is <laughs> doesn't help to make it less confusing, but um, you know, the main thing to understand is that when we're talking about the quadrants of operant conditioning. Positive means we're simply adding something. Negative means that we're removing something. Reinforcement means that we want to see more of a behavior. And punishment means that we want to see less of a behavior. And so um, it's important not to think about those quadrants in an emotional way of how we normally would as people in the way that we use English, but more so in more of this matrix uh, formula that we're using. It's almost like math to some degree. So hopefully that helps there. How can I build confidence in my dog to reduce nervous barking and reactivity? So there's a variety of ways that you can build confidence, right? We have to understand where does confidence really come from? A lot of times confidence comes from clarity and um, you know, it comes from clarity, so simply that. Confidence comes from clarity. It comes from clarity and knowing what is expected of us. It's clarity in terms of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, it's clarity in having a good communication system and a relationship. All these things help to build confidence. So how can we build confidence in a dog that is having these nervous, you know, behaviors and barking, all these things that we're talking about, right? Um, so with that being said, there's a variety of ways of that you can build confidence in everyday life. Some of this can be helping your dog onto different surfaces and textures, desensitizing them to different sounds. So perhaps playing street sounds, you know, while you're doing something that's also fun for your dog. So say you're hand feeding, right? Maybe you can get a, a mobile speaker or you have a speaker system in your house, uh, play some street noises or sounds that would otherwise be triggering, dogs barking, things like that. 
and you can start to desensitize your dog to some of these different noises. And that is all we have for today's episode. Unfortunately, my phone's battery took the L on the end of that live stream. If you want to tune in and ask your questions, don't forget to follow us at Hybrid Canine on Instagram and TikTok. And if you're looking for training, you can visit us at www.hybridcanine.com. Talk to you guys soon.